Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring on the Podcast. Uh, sorry, we have kind of taken a little bit of a hiatus, a lot of stuff going on, but we are back. Big game coming up next week. JT Van Gilder is here with us. JT, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. For you know, it's nice to get a break here in the middle of a very tough, kind of crazy Big Twelve schedule. So uh, ready to get back into it. Yeah, for sure. Kansas State, number 17 in the latest AP poll. And then this week, they get number eight TCU. And so we brought on Melissa Trebowasser, contributing writer for Frogs Today. Melissa, how you doing? Can you just say that ranking one more time for me? I just, <laughs> I, I, that's the first time that someone's actually like said it out loud that I've heard it. That Did you say number eight TCU? <laughs> I, guys, I am, I, you know, I tweeted this earlier, but I'm verklempt. Like, that's the only way I know how to describe it. Like, I, 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 what strange times we are living in. This is crazy and chaos, but it is awesome to be here. I'm really excited for this game. Um, it's going to be another, you know, taking years off my life Saturday evening, I think. Yeah, and, you know, eighth is just one spot behind where TCU was ranked in the preseason Big 12 poll. So, yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, it, and you know what? And I thought, Rightfully so. Like, I, I couldn't argue with the preseason rankings. And so, yeah, this is strange times that we're living in, friends. Strange times. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so first of all, I, I got asked you yesterday or Saturday, you know, playing against Oklahoma State. It, it looked kind of grim at times. How were you feeling? Did you ever count TCU out in that game? Oh, absolutely. So for the last three weeks, I have successfully picked against TCU. I decided to become, you know, Debbie Downer, TCU fan, um, TCU (laughs) writer, heading into the Oklahoma game because we hadn't beaten Oklahoma in since 24. And I just said we, and I'm going to continue to say we because why not? Um, I paid tuition there. I can say we. Yeah. So I I kind of said, you know, like this has been nice and like this is really cute. I'm glad that like TCU looks competent, which is something that I haven't really been able to say much about the Frogs last couple of years. Um, But I, I just, I thought it was all kind of, I uh, haven't played anybody, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so we beat Oklahoma after I picked against them. And so then, of course, I picked against them going into the Kansas game. And we went into Lawrence with game day and won that game with another just insane finish. And then I was having incredible FOMO. And so I desperately tried to plan a trip to go to Fort Worth this weekend. Couldn't find a dog <laughs> sitter, sadly. And so oh. I ended up not spending the $1,000. And as I was talking to my little TCU, our little group message, which is, you know, Jamie Plunkett and Parker Fleming, Grant McGallyard and Colin Post, like the salt of the earth of TCU beat reporters. I, I said, gosh, I'm feeling really good about my decision not to drop over $1,000 to make this trip when we were down uh, uh, you know, 24 to seven. And then Parker and I jumped on his faces at halftime. And he was like, I'm strangely optimistic about this game. And I was like, I'm feeling strangely satisfied that I didn't fly out there for this one. Um, and was once again, incredibly happy to be wrong. The heart and the will and just the fortitude of this TCU team continues to surprise me every week. I, I really thought that Oklahoma State was the better team heading into the weekend. And once they had that big lead, I just haven't seen the TCU team overcome that kind of deficit in a long time. And so I hadn't given up hope, but I, I was not feeling confident. And so to see them battle back the way, not just to win that game, but the way that they won that game, I am starting slowly but surely to buy into what this team is and what the program is doing and, and what Sonny Dykes has built there foundationally. And now I'm trying to get used to being excited and believing in TCU football again for the first time really since 2017. 
Yeah, I have to say I'm a little disappointed in you that you would pick Kansas to beat your team. Uh, but, you know, the important thing is that the dream of KU going 5-7 and seven and missing a bowl game after losing to K-State on senior day is still alive. I, you know, I, I, understand Absolutely. I understand I'm on a Kansas State podcast right now, but the Kansas story, if you are not Kansas State or playing them that week, is unbelievable. And And I think you guys even probably can just kind of, the heartbreak of Jalen Daniels starting the way that he did and then going out in that mm-hmm. game is super, super disappointing because the Big 12 is a better football conference when Kansas is relevant and Oklahoma is not. So, I mean, and then, so I, I'm, I'm a little bit bummed out the way that, that last Saturday went. But for you guys' sake, like, you know, I, I hope they lose the rest of their games um, and that the, the trajectory continues for basketball. Yeah, I mean, I said it on Twitter. I'm disappointed in Jalen Daniels' injury because, well, number one, he seems like a good guy and hates seeing injuries for anybody. But number two... That gives Kansas fans an excuse that they lose out from here. And I don't want them to have that. God, I love Ryan. I love college football. Like, it's seriously, like, it's just the best part. The absolute best part. Yeah. But uh, speaking of quarterbacks, TCU's got a pretty good one. And Max Duggan. I mean, you know, what has he done this year to kind of go to that next level and become a Heisman candidate, apparently? Okay, let's let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Um, I want to know, like, so Max Duggan is... Like he reminds me of like a like a Joe Namath character, right? Like this is a kid who is really, really talented, but seems like the kind of kid who wanted to just like be in a fraternity at TCU, crush some beers on the weekend, and like enjoy all the pleasures that come with being a division one quarterback at TCU. Like it's and it, trust me, I'm sure there are a lot less things to be as a as a twenty-two year old man, right? Like a lot less <laughs> worse things to be. But I don't know if it's I think the best thing that happened to Max Duggan was losing his job because since he was thrown into the fire by Gary Patterson back in, and you guys will love this in the Alex Delton days, right? Like when those (laughs) two were competing to be the starting quarterback at TCU, the world was so unfairly thrust upon his shoulders that he really had no chance to succeed. And those early TCU teams were so bad. Like the talent was there. It was not being used. The offensive line was an utter and epic disaster and so he had to learn like on the fly when you talk about you know going from the frying pan to the fire like he wasn't even in the fire like he was at like the wildfire next door and it it was just an untenable situation for him and so it seemed like he was just a kid who was naturally gifted was a great leader but just wasn't able to kind of take that next step and maybe it was because he didn't feel comfortable he didn't feel empowered to or he was just enjoying life as a college you know quarterback but whatever changed this offseason and maybe it was losing that job, took a lot of that pressure off of his shoulders, it feels like. And he's playing with a freedom, not being afraid of the bar that has been raised for him, but more being looking of, I'm just going to take this literally play by play and see what happens. And, and the mistakes slough off of him so quickly. Um, he still had some really bad series. Uh, he had a couple really bad series against Oklahoma State. He had a terrible like second series against Kansas. There are still those moments. But the thing that's different from him this year than in the previous years is that he can have three bad passes in a row and then come up the next series and leave the touchdown drive and so all the credit in the world goes to Garrett Riley and Sonny Dykes for kind of taking the burden off of his shoulders and all the credit in the world goes to Max for just leaning into kind of being this guy he's created now the two most epic photos of any TCU quarterback in history and like again the predecessors like Andy Dalton I love him to death but it's really hard for him to look cool but Max just like he's the coolest looking ginger in the history of college football and I like I will not hear arguments otherwise his photo when he beat Texas in 2019 and he threw the frogs up on his like game-winning touchdown drive after he crossed the goal line and then he has a photo of him like doing the like are you not entertained in front of the entire student section that streamed onto the field from Saturday and it's just like he has leaned into this so much and like 
there are peacetime generals and there are wartime generals. And right now, Max Duggan is a successful wartime general. And, and like these guys behind him will follow him into anything at this point. And for his sake and for TCU's sake, I'm just so happy to see it. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. What about, I mean, even his bio, you know, talks about how last season he was dealing with a lot of injuries. So much. how much has that made a difference for just for him to be healthy? Oh, it's a huge difference. Uh, I mean, this kid had heart surgery a year ago. We thought his career was over. I, I mean, they're, like, I think they said it was an eight-hour surgery on the broadcast on Saturday. And there was a Jeez. chance that he was never, ever going to play football again. And for a kid who's a coach's kid, who's lived and breathed, I mean, I, I was kind of going back and forth on Twitter with some people that were talking about all the offers that he had. You know, he had 24 offers coming out of, I think, 24, 27, coming out of high school um, in Notre Dame, Georgia, Ohio State. Like, this was a kid who was heavily recruited. He was an Elite 11 quarterback. And again, because he was put into such a difficult situation from his freshman year on at TCU, he never really reached that potential, right? And so to see him overcome that, he played with a broken foot last year. I I mean, he has had every reason for this season not to happen. And I think if it hadn't have happened and if Chandler Morris had been the starting quarterback all year, he would have been, like he said, I would be the best water boy in college football if that's what I needed to be for TC to be successful. And like, I know that can seem really cliche and kind of trite, but with him, I really believe it. He just wants to be a TCU football player. Um, and, and he has embraced that role. And now when he's had his chance, like, to his credit, he has taken the best opportunity of it. And so him being healthy, he's definitely a little bit banged up right now. Like there's no question. You can't run the way that he runs and not get hurt. But he just, he is maximizing his opportunities. He's taking what the defense gives him, all of the cliches, all of the quarterback talk, but he wants to be here. He never thought about leaving. He never thought about entering the transfer portal. He just wanted to be a part of a winning TCU football program. And the fact that he's like, the key cog in a winning TCU football program. It's really great. And just, it's one of those kids you just want to root for in college football. And for people that aren't playing TCU this week, uh, I think everybody else is kind of behind him too. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, obviously he's a guy that would run through a big wall or do anything he needs to do, but are the coaches trying to do anything more to protect him? I mean, it helps when you can run for 116 yards and only five carries like he did against OU. Well, I think, I think you and I could run for 116 yards. Uh, I mean, good God, that might be the worst defense in college football, or at least it's it's like they don't know how to defend quarterbacks running. It's like they didn't hire a defensive minded football coach. I don't understand what's (laughs) happening. Um, Yeah. I I mean, I, I think I don't think that they're trying to protect him right now. I, I think with, with Chandler Morris healthy behind him and with Sam Jackson being on the cusp of being something really special too, I think Sonny Dykes is saying, Max, go play your game. And like, we don't want you to get hurt. We obviously are better with you on the field. That's why you're still the starting quarterback. But at the end of the day, like when you tell Max not to be Max, he's a lot less effective. And so I think they've kind of taken the governor off. Um, and the offensive line is still like, kind of bad. So like, if we're being really honest, it's not, it's not an ideal situation. And so the thing that he's doing really well, and I think this is what Spencer Sanders came into last weekend doing, is knowing when to run. And we saw that with Sanders on those first two drives as he was so intelligent about when to take off and go. Max was a little bit more hesitant to run early, but as you notice, when TCU started to make that comeback, it was because he started to take off and go. Um, and so while he's doing a really good job of making his reads, looking for Quentin Johnston, like who, if I was a college quarterback, I'd be looking for Quentin Johnston every time down the yeah. field too. Yeah. But he's a little bit more judicious about when he's going to run. But when it's winning time, and again, these are all, I'm using all of the cliches tonight. I'm sorry, I've had two <laughs> cocktails. Um, but, but when it's winning time, I think Max is just, playing football you know he just like there's nobody saying oh you got to be careful you got to take it easy I think they're saying like go do your thing take us to the end zone and he's at his best when he just feels the freedom to do that and JT obviously I mean we know a little bit about 
having an aggressive quarterback and, you know, trying to maybe hold him back or, or whatnot. Do you think the K-State coaches have figured that out with Adrian and found, found the right ear for him to play at? I'm still not sure that they have unlocked the puzzle <laughs> that is Adrian Martinez. Yeah, um, I said Adrian Peterson tonight. Yeah. Uh, he, <laughs> you know, he looked great running the ball against against Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, it was it was like, oh, wow, you know, they finally unlocked him and it was great. And then you get to Iowa State and was like, man, who is this guy? And, you know, what happened yeah. to the guy that we saw the last two weeks? It, it, you know, like like Melissa was saying, like at, at some point you've just got to say, Adrian, just go go be yourself. Go do your thing. Don't worry about it. And you can still tell that he's got that like – I'm at Nebraska mentality and I've thrown 800 picks because <laughs> Nebraska sucks and I've got to try to force the ball all over the place. And he, he can't just like play football like he could. And so it's, you know, uh, hopefully they they've used this bye week to get that, uh, turn that key, figure that out and, and uh, unlock him. Cause when he's, when he's on, when he's doing his thing, it's, it's a sight to see. Yeah, and then it was interesting because Chris Kleiman came out after the Iowa State game and said, well, I think this was Adrian's best game that he's played here, <laughs> which was a weird thing for anyone who right. watched the Oklahoma game. But and it's, but it's just such, it's also, it's such a change in tone from what he said about Adrian after the Tulane game, where he was, you know, pretty critical by Chris Kleiman's standards. Kleiman is just so good at that coach speak and yeah. and saying the right things at the right times to motivate his players to get what he wants out of them both, you know, to the media and then, you know, I, from what I can tell in the, in the locker room to those guys, like, you know, it, he's, you know, very much support you, support you in public and yell at you in the locker room kind of guy, and, yeah. but, but using the, the media and, and, and just, you know, pushing just the right button, like not going overboard not, you know, just completely ignoring it, but like using it effectively enough to push just the right buttons knowing his guys and that's you know that speaks to you know his quality as a coach just to to know his guys well enough to know which buttons to push at the right time to make it effective yeah and and you know adrian remarkably has still not committed a turnover yet and, and max duggan knock on wood yeah yeah no but max has been pretty good at that as well i think he just has the one interception how, how has his decision making been this season you know, it's and I'm not I'm not comparing him to Josh Allen. Let me be perfectly clear on that. But <laughs> it's one of those rare instances where the thing they always say about quarterbacks is that they don't get more accurate over time, right? Like that's always the thing. And I, I think you know, much like we saw Josh Allen develop in an NFL system, um, Max Duggan getting into Sunny Dyke system has freed him up to be able to make quicker decisions. And that's dramatically increases accuracy. We do this thing. You guys might've heard of this before. It's called a route tree where you have <laughs> multiple. Yeah, it didn't exist in the TCU offense between like 2016 and 2021. Um, and, and it turns out you could send multiple wide receivers and multiple places at the same time. Like I had no idea. It's not all just like nine routes and screen passes. Like there's more to what you can do with an offense. And it's, it's Don't tell Bill but Snyder that. It's I know. Fun. Right. Yeah. I, it, it, and I do want to get to this at some point, my parallels between Bill Snyder and Sonny Dykes. Um, I oh, do have yeah. thoughts on that as okay. well. Um, okay. But yeah, like Sonny Dykes is so good at doing something so simple. And it's just putting like saying, Oh, this guy's really good at this. Let's have him do that. 
And they've done that with Max Duggan. They've done that with Quentin Johnson. They've done that with Darius Davis and Tay Barber. Um, he's really like, this is the same TCU roster that existed in 2021. The Horned Frogs returned 82% of their production on both sides of the ball. And it was 82% on offense. And so these are the same dudes that were scoring 28 points a game last year that are now one of the top scoring offenses in the country. And they've done it against like decent competition the last couple of weeks. Like Oklahoma State's defense is no joke and neither is Kansas. Oklahoma's is, but like that's for another show. Um, I would say and, Kansas defense is actually a joke, but well, their defensive front is really, really solid that they have an elite safety. Like there are yeah. definitely holes. They're definitely holes, right? And Oklahoma State's back end is, is not quite as good, but their defensive front might be one of a top five unit in the country, right? It's really, really good. It's really deep. And so while these, again, are not the most elite defenses you're going to face, they're some of the better ones. And Kansas State's is probably the best defensive front. Iowa State, obviously, is probably the best defense overall. So the toughest work is yet to come, but these are not, these are not joke defenses. They're not terrible. And so I think that his accuracy, his decision-making, he's being able to make quicker decisions. They're not asking him to progress through three, four, five reads. They're saying, hey, find the dude that's really, really big and really, really fast and give him the ball or, hey, here's a here's a real easy outlet for you to Darius Davis, who's going to make a guy miss pretty much 99% of the time, except against Oklahoma State, which was the worst game I think I've seen him play as a TCU player. But they're letting him do that. The only interception that he's thrown was in garbage time. Like it was a Hail Mary at the end of the half against Kansas. And so it wasn't like it, it wasn't a game changing interception. And so He's protected the football. Um, you know, he's not putting it on the ground. He sees a whole is doing a better job of protecting the football. And, and turnovers to a degree are, are kind of cyclical, right? Like, I, you know, I've got the Cowboys-Eagles game on in the background and you think about Diggs, right? And he had like a billion interceptions, but when he wasn't picking off the ball last year, he was giving up 50-yard completions. And so they are, they're not necessarily like, a product of what is or is not a good player, but they are often a product of whether your team win or wins or not. And so uh, there's a lot of luck involved in that. And the luck has rolled TCU's way, knock on wood, to this point so far. But I think it's also a, a product of Max isn't worried about making a mistake. He's just trying to make a play. And when you don't have the freedom, like when you have the freedom of not having to go to the sideline and get your ass chewed, it frees you up to make you're liable to make less mistakes when you're not playing as fearful. And I think he, I think a lot of the CC team was playing scared the last couple of years. Yeah. And then you mentioned him earlier, but you know, a big benefit of playing quarterback at TCU right now is you get to pass to Quentin Johnson, first team, all big 12 and, and TCU's, I mean, had some really good receivers over the years, Josh Stockton, Kevante Turpin, Jalen Rager, uh, you know, where does he compare to those guys? He's like absolutely nothing we've ever seen at TCU. Josh Jackson is an absolute elite talent. Jeremy Curley is another guy who, you know, had a long career in the NFL. Jalen Rager was the TCU offense for his three years, period. I mean, I, I look back in that, I think it was 2018 Baylor game where like TCU doesn't score if he doesn't score for TCU that game. I mean, we were down to like our fifth string quarterback um, on the road and won that game somehow. But TCU has never had a guy who's got four, four, five speed who is six foot four, who could make guys miss. I mean, they run a six, four dude on jet sweeps on fourth and three and he converts. Like, like, first of all, what are you doing? Sunny Dykes? I have no idea, but apparently it works. So who am I to question it? He is a legitimate first round talent in measurables. He's a legitimate first round talent and work ethic. And this kid is hungry. He hates losing. And if you look back over, over his stats, I mean, he's already set a career high for receptions in a season this year with 34. And the fact that 34 was this freak's career high into this season, uh, or 33, is absolute insanity. He had 80 receptions, I think, in his career, or less than 80 coming into the season. Study Dykes, 
used him judiciously through the first four games and then against Kansas said, okay, time to unleash him. And they forced the ball to him so many times. And it didn't (laughs) matter that everybody knew the ball was coming to him every single time down the field. He just kept making plays. He had that huge conversion from deep in TCU territory where they were backed up on their own goal line. And after the fumble, the Jalen Daniels fumble at the one, and he single-handedly brought them back into Kansas territory. He had a huge conversion on third and, and medium against Oklahoma State that got TCU like into the flow of the offense on the game time drive. He can make guys miss. He can break tackles. He's strong. I think there's still some things with his hands that he's going to have to work on. I, I don't think he's an elite, elite catcher of the football, but his skills across everything else that you want in a receiver are you know beyond plus territory. And so he is such a special player. He's got the right attitude. Amazing family. Just like raised the right way. Does everything right off the field. Um, if you need to build your football team around a skill player like Quentin Johnston and Kendra Miller for that point too are the type of not just players but human beings that you want to have to build around um I I just think Quentin is the ideal college football player in every aspect um he's he's a really really great human being he works really really hard um and he's absolutely earned this moment and my dog is deciding to squeak his toys so on the <laughs> podcast so you're welcome for that that's fine that's fine uh, yeah I mean and you you mentioned his, his first four games, but I just want to put some numbers behind that. In his first four games, he caught 12 passes for less than 100 yards combined. And then against KU, he caught 14 for 206 yards. So, yeah, quite, quite a jump. And, and that, that touchdown, the game went, they ended up being the game winner. One of the best catches you'll see in football this that, year. That was ridiculous. I, I caught that one live. I was like, oh my God, what just happened? I, I had to rewind it. And, and I kept saying to myself, oh, oh my God, how did he catch that? Like what, what? Yeah. And and you know what? The thing that's amazing is numbers were better against Kansas, but his game was better against Oklahoma State because it came kind of naturally in the flow of what they were trying to do. They made a point to force feed him the ball against Kansas and against Oklahoma State. He was just the right guy to throw to every time because he was just open every time. He's he's an unbelievable, just special talent. One of those kids that I, I don't think we ever really got to appreciate for what he could do. We knew he was special, but like he just wasn't used properly. And seeing him in this offense, it's a blast to watch. And I know this is the last time we're ever going to see Quentin Johnson in a TCU uniform. And so, and you know what? Like, go get paid, kid. Like, you've absolutely earned yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I think, JT, it seems like, to me, the, the big thing for the K-State defense is going to be to tackle him and make sure he doesn't get a whole bunch of yards after catch. Right. Well, that's it's going to be an opportunity for Julius Brents, who's also 6'4", 220, to really prove his worth to uh, NFL scouts. You know, you're going to have two of the biggest, you know, corner guys in the country right next to each other. You know, you're, you're going to have to put Brents on, on Johnston. And it's that, that could be a show. I mean, just watching those two guys go at each other you know, that's one of those like, you know, preview of many years in the NFL to come kind of things. And <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, I'm kind of interested to see just how that, that works out. Yeah. Yeah. Should be fun. And then, Melissa, you mentioned Kendra Miller. He, of course, had a hundred yard game against Kansas State last year. So K-State fans are probably aware of him a little bit, but you know, what, what has he done for them so far this season? He's got to be one of the most underappreciated players in the country. You know, I think that when you look across the Big 12, there's obviously so many good running backs. Um, Deuce Vaughn, who is giving me nightmares and has been giving me nightmares (laughs) for, you know, the last two years. You know, Bajan Robinson. There's just, there's no dearth of talent at that position across the Big 12. And there hasn't been in decades. It's always, you always have great running backs. But Kendrick Miller quietly is putting together a really impressive season. Um, We saw him carry the ball a lot more against Oklahoma 
State than he had. I, I think it was one of his highest, like just carries of the season. He's averaging like over seven yards per. Um, he's gotten in the end zone every single game TCU has played this season. He had a just a powerful run in overtime to secure the win. He's just one of those guys that just very quietly goes about his business, makes big plays when you need it. Down the stretch, Max did not play particularly well. Like he's getting all of the credit and I have absolutely no problem with that because he has put this team on his back in so many ways and he had a couple of huge runs down the stretch. But Kendra Miller was kind of the unsung hero of Saturday's win against Oklahoma State. And he's been that guy for TCU so many times. And he was that guy last year. Um, Zach Evans got a lot of the attention because he was the big name. But Kendra Miller was the one, you know, again, Texas Tech who willed TCU to a win. He was the guy who was averaging eight yards a carry like for his career heading into this season. He's an unbelievable talent, but he's just very quiet. He's very unassuming. He's one of five running backs that Sonny Dykes and, and Garrett Riley are using. And he doesn't mind whatsoever if he's got eight carries or 28. Like he's here to win. He's here to be successful. He's fine keeping the tread on his tires because he's probably going to be an NFL guy too. But he's willing to do whatever is asked of him. Um, he's doing a much better job this year blocking and pass protection. He's, he's a decent option um, out of the backfield as a receiver as well. But he's also not afraid to put his head down and run between the tackles. Um, and again, with this offensive line, is it's been very hit and miss so far this season. I think what he's doing is incredibly impressive. And, and I wish he got a little bit more credit, but I'm also really happy that no one's paying attention to him. Makes sense. Well, so JT, I mean, obviously a lot of weapons on the CCU offense. It, it's pretty scary. If you're Joe Klanderman I mean, and Chris Kleiman, what are you focusing on to try to stop from this group? Um, I think at this point, you've just got to play your defense. I mean, I mean, you, you game plan for, for the offense you're facing, obviously, but if you try, I think if you try too hard to say, we're going to take this away, we're going to take that away, then it's going to limit the overall effectiveness of, of what we can do on defense. You know, really what's going to be key is, is having Felix and UDK Uzama and Khalid Dubak both healthy and creating just as much pressure on Max Duggan and the point of attack for, you know, the rushing attack as well, you know, at the line of scrimmage or behind it, you know, whenever possible, you know, like most said, if, you know, if TCU's offensive line is, is an issue, then that creates a, a huge advantage for K-State's, you know, front three or five, creating pressure, creating those, those havoc plays in the backfield, you know, one of the, the most endearing moments of that, the 2012 K-State run that, you know, was the, the Meshack Williams dual tackle in the backfield. Um, I, I don't even forget who the TCU quarterback was at the time, but he got them both at the same moment. And, uh, and you know, it, you don't need a play like that necessarily, but, but that kind of a havoc play where you can get into the backfield, you can, you can create impact there at, at that, that the point of the mesh point or on the quarterback to prevent them from running is going to be, you know, hugely critical. I mean, we saw what happened last year even. You know, uh, Felix had six sacks, six sacks in NCAA, six sacks <laughs> against TCU. And, uh, you know, that was – it was huge. I mean, they just the, the Frogs just could never recover from that. I mean, he was just in the backfield all day long, and they just had no answer for it. So – if you can keep creating pressure like that, that's going to be, you know, create a huge advantage for the K-State defense and create, you know, take a lot of pressure off the defensive backfield off, not having to worry so much about, you know, a guy like Quentin Johnson getting downfield or Kendra Miller breaking a, you know, huge run if you're stopping him right there at the line. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And then, of course, I mean, we all know watching K-State football for a while, a, a great way to stop an opposing offense is just keeping them off the field. So ball control for, for Kansas State will be key as well. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the TCU defense. First, we're going to take a quick commercial break here from our sponsors. And we're back. So most of the, the TCU defense, you know, obviously they haven't been great, but I mean, you look at the second half yesterday when they needed to be good, they were very good. You know, what did they, they do in, in those moments to come up big? You know, I think you've got – so you are you go from one of the greatest all-time defensive coaches in college football, Gary Patterson, to Joe Gillespie, um, who runs a completely different system, um, who has a completely different mentality and mindset. And so there's been an adjustment period. And, again, like I mentioned earlier, TC re- like basically returned everybody. They brought in a couple of transfers and Johnny Hodges and Mark Perry um, and Josh Newton, who are, are playing significant roles. But it's the same guys that were averaging, like giving up over 200 yards per game on the ground last year. And so there's been an adjustment period. And at times that defense looks super, super confident. And at times it looks like the same defense we've been watching for the last three years. And so where I want to give Joe Gillespie just a ton of credit is the adjustments that were made. So that, and, and I got to give a shout out to my friend, uh, you know, Parker Fleming Sats war on Twitter, who does a lot of this analytical work and I'm learning so much from every week and who also like is generally a pessimist, but was the only one that still believed in TCU at halftime last week. So, but you know, he, he said that the first, First two drives against Oklahoma State, the Cowboys racked up 151 yards of offense, so 74 and a half yards per drive, and they scored two very easy touchdowns, both Spencer Sanders runs. The next 13 drives, I think they averaged uh, like, like it was like 20-something yards or 30, 32 yards, I think, a drive. And so those adjustments and the ability to make those adjustments on the fly in game um, says, says a lot to not only Joe Gillespie, but how the install of a system is going. And so that TC defense, I mean, the moment of the game, the play of the game was that third drive. Darius Davis, who never muffs punts, muffed a punt on the 24-yard line. Oklahoma State recovered. TCU down 14 and nothing, had to go immediately back on defense. And they held Oklahoma State to a field goal, which was a huge deal in that moment because they were in field goal territory the minute that they possessed the ball. And I think that really kind of changed the tone and changed the outlook for the Horned Frogs. Yes, they would go down 24 to 7 eventually, but at that point, the defense was really locked in and locked down. And so the, they really allowed the Frogs to kind of claw back into that game. They held him to just 32 yards in the fourth quarter. Spencer Sanders completely became a shell of a quarterback after the Bud Clark interception in that fourth quarter with just under 10 minutes to go in the game, um, which also I think kind of changed the tone, changed the way Gundy and and company were calling the game. But Gillespie is, it's a bend, don't break. They do give up a lot of yards, but they've gotten much, much better in the red zone. And when the opportunity to make a big play has been there, more often than not, they've made those plays. And they were exceptional in the fourth quarter against Spencer Sanders, which is the only thing that's given me a little bit of hope going into this weekend because, you know, I think Adrian Martinez obviously is a little bit of a better runner than Spencer Sanders. He's also looking to more to run more than Spencer is. But Sanders has been a really effective quarterback runner and is a much better athlete than I think most people give him credit for. And so being able to kind of bottle him up, contain him, um, and the speed that the TCU defense has, especially on the outside, is the only reason where I think that like maybe the frogs can do some containment now Oklahoma State does not have Zeus Vaughn like that's a given so it's, it's a very different situation there but yeah I mean I think that, that the 335 is coming into its own TC started a true freshman no tackle it was 17 years old in, against Colorado turned 18 the Sunday after that game and so they're very young up front and the pass rush has been 
non-existent for the last couple of seasons. It's just now starting to round into form. Josh Newton is an elite cornerback. He's really, really good. Travis Hodges Tomlinson gets all of the attention and, and he deserves it. But Josh Newton has really been a star in that secondary. Bud Clark is getting back healthy. He's a great player at safety. Mark Perry is excellent in run support. I don't want him chasing a 4-4 guy down the field, but, but he's really, really good in every other aspect of the game. And then of course, you know, Travis Hodges Tomlinson has his reputation for a reason. He's a great player. So there's not a lot of depth at linebacker. Um, Marcel Brooks, who had just come back from a rib injury, um, left the field in a wheelchair again on Saturday. And so that hurts the linebacker depth as well. But there's some talent. There's a ton of athleticism. And, and Joe Gillespie does a really good job of not asking his players to think too much. Uh, it's kind of like see ball, get ball, which has been a really effective mode of this. The, the one thing that's really encouraging about the TCU defense is that they really do swarm to the ball. Late in the fourth quarter, D winners kind of chased Spencer Sanders out of the pocket. It looked like he was going to turn the corner. D was able to just kind of swipe at his ankles, and it looked like Spencer was going to break that tackle. But by the time he was able to get away from D winters, there were four other guys there to take him down. And so that, to me, is the difference between this TCU team and last year's team. Once you broke one tackle, there was a lot of green grass in front of you. This year, you might get past one or two guys, but in general, you're not going to get too much farther before three or four other guys are ready to, to get in your face a little bit. So it's not a perfect defense. Um, there's definitely some issues. They're going to give up some plays. They're going to give up a ton of yardage, and you're going to score points against them. But when push comes to shove down the stretch in games, when they've needed stops, they've done a really, really good job of getting them. And I, I don't know if that's going to be something that continues or not, but you know, for the last two games, especially early on in the Oklahoma game as well, you've seen them really step up in those big moments and make plays. Yeah, and it was interesting to me. I was a little surprised looking at the stats to see. I mean, TCU gives up a lot of passing yards, and probably partly because they're ahead a lot, teams are throwing the ball, but they're second in the Big 12 in passing efficiency defense right behind Kansas State. So That surprises uh, me, too, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, so they've been overhead some success there. But, but yeah, I mean, you hope that, that Kansas State will be able to run the ball a little bit. So, I mean, who are you more worried about as a runner? Adrian Martinez or Deuce Vine. And obviously even Deuce is the better runner, but you know, Adrian being a quarterback comes. Yeah. I mean, Deuce Vaughn's an elite player. He's one of the best players in the conference. He's one of the best offensive players in the country. And he's one of the most dangerous players with the ball in his hands that you're going to find anywhere in college football. And so, yeah, like I'm terrified of him. And plus he's like eating (laughs) TCU alive. Like he's had great games against the hard frogs. And so, yeah, like I'm absolutely terrified of him. But the one thing that's different between a running back and a quarterback you know when the running back gets the ball that he's running the football. Like it's, I mean, there's a whole, like a whole process of events that tells you what's about to happen. And so you (laughs) at least expect it to come. But with somebody like Adrian Martinez, who is a, just kind of like chaos embodied anyways, just as a player. Right. But then with his running ability and the way that he's able to break off those 70 yard runs, he's kind of like Max Duggan. And we saw this, what was it in 2020 when Max broke off that like had that huge game and almost, will TCU back to a win or I can't even remember if we won that game to be honest at this point but it's that kind of thing where he like Adrian Martinez can completely change the complexion of an entire game with one run and you don't get you can get that with the running back but you don't necessarily get that as often with the running back as you do a running quarterback and so the running quarterback has always been a bugaboo of TCUs and it's especially been true with Kansas State like I will forever have nightmares of Colin Klein and that that <laughs> awful awful rain soaked like 40 degree day um, where you know I think he ran for 740 yards and he's probably still <laughs> running to the AMG a- Carter end zone right now so yeah like like Adrian Martinez scares the pants off of me because I just don't know what he's going to do but I know that more often than not, that chaos is going to lead to something good for the Wildcats. Yeah. 
So, JT, off of that, I have a question for you. Who do you think is K-State's second best running back? Is it Adrian Martinez or DJ Giddens? Uh, uh, well, at this point, I mean, you'd have to say it's Adrian Martinez, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love Giddens. I mean, that kid is yeah. a five to ten yard to carry machine. Huge, and I, I just love him. But, but yeah, I mean, you got K-State's got been gifted with two of the best runners in the country this season and you know it's it is rather amazing it's a very similar i mean you'll have to describe it you know maybe better than i can because i wasn't totally keyed in on k-state football at the time but uh, like 2003 roberson sproles like yeah. like that kind of yeah. duo of sure. of running threats throwing threat i mean what those two guys can do and making plays and stuff yeah, yeah, and it just, I mean, obviously helps the quarterback so much as far as his running game when you've got a running back like a Sproles or a Deuce Vaughn. This makes them so much more dangerous. But and So, what, I mean, what do you think? I know, you know, our fearless leader, John Morris, has, I think, gone on record saying that K-State should give Giddens the ball more. And, I mean, I don't know. It, it, I can understand where he's coming from, but at the same time, there's only so many carries. And if you give Giddens the ball more, then that means, you know, Deuce Vaughn's getting the ball less. What's the... What's the I, answer there? I, I think right now four to six carries a game is fine. I think like really John's biggest point is there are some of these times it's third and short or it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. a, you know, we need three yards kind of situation and they're, you know, we're running Deuce Vaughn up the middle. Like he's, he's a strong dude. He's great at getting tough yards, but you know, he's uh, essentially a Heisman candidate and like, you don't need to kill that guy. Like he's your home run threat. Like don't kill him trying to bunt. Right. I mean, <laughs> like, so it's, it's okay to let Giddens. It's this much bigger kid. I mean, he's, he's almost six foot. He's like two twenty. I mean, he's a big kid. Let him take some of those harder carries off of deuce. And, you know, sure enough, you know, he's probably going to get you five or six yards, which is great. You know, it's, it's probably going to be a first down, you know, get him a couple of those, same thing in, you know, goal line situations. Like you can tell they're trying almost too hard to get Deuce touchdowns, to get him, get him a few more yards. It's like maybe, you know, Deuce is going to get his if you just let the flow happen. Maybe stop trying to kill him just to uh, get one more touchdown. You know, this isn't NCAA 14. Like, like <laughs> you know, it's okay. Like you can let, you know, the, the voters will understand if you're not <laughs> trying to kill your star just to get him a, a meaningless touchdown on, you know, second and goal. Like, let the big kid do it sometimes. It's it's okay. Like, they get it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So, Melissa, I mean, one of the things with Gary Patterson's defenses over the years, a well-earned reputation of, you know, even if you beat them that day, you know, the next couple of weeks, you'd still be feeling it. And, you know, it was – you always hear, well, the week after you play TCU, you're pretty beat up and teams struggle. And that week, just because of the physicality they always brought, you know, does this group still have that? This is a really a dangerous question for me to ask because TCU has knocked out two quarterbacks this year. Right. Um, <laughs> and the same guy has done it. And one of them was, I'm going to say, a dirty play not made by a dirty player. And the other was that same player not making a dirty play, but just an unfortunate result to it. Jamoy Hodge is 
rightfully took a lot of crap for the Dylan Gabriel hit. I still think that there, it was more of a, a bad timing than a kid trying to hurt somebody. But at the end of the day, like it was a bad hit. Um, and and the, the Jalen Daniels was just unfortunate. Like he just came down on his shoulder. There's nothing you can do about that. This is still a pretty physical team. Mark Perry will lay the wood into you. And like, nobody knew who this kid was because he came from Colorado. Yeah, you found a good player from Colorado. That's not a good amazing. player from Colorado. Yeah. What are you going to do? And Josh Newton is very physical. I think we saw that against Oklahoma State. People were kind of surprised at the way that he played, but he's a big kid. You know, he's a six footer that that can really play, but he's another kid. He came from a small school. The one that has shocked all of us is Abe Kamara. Like that kid, man, like he's going to hit you and it's going to hurt. He's a hit stick kind of waiting to happen. Uh, So so that secondary is probably one of the more physical secondaries TC's had the last few years. At linebacker, like D. Winters is a really good player. Um, He's gotten lost a few times, especially in coverage. He's like Spencer Sanders juked him out of his shoes so bad that I was looking for Holgo to make a high five on the sideline like like he did for Trayvon Boykin in that famous West Virginia game. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's not as physical of a group up front, but there's still some players that can make you hurt. But yeah, I mean, this is not... This is not the same Gary Patterson defense. This is a little bit more of a, of a nuanced group. Um, they're still really, really talented and they can be really physical. But yeah, I don't necessarily think they're going to wear you down the way that uh, Gary Patterson's defenses were. What's going to happen is that the offense is going to run so many plays, they're going to wear you down. And I think that's kind of what we saw against Oklahoma State. You know, Texas Tech ran 100 plays against them the week before. And by that fourth quarter, that defense was pretty gassed. And they were making mistakes they were not making at the beginning of that game. So Kansas State coming off of a bye week is going to be pretty fresh. Um, I don't think that does TCU any favors, obviously, especially now since TCU is in the stretch of our bye week was week two so uh or week three so uh, you know i i don't think that there's any rest for the weary in that regard so yeah i, I don't think that that's necessarily going to play in in tcu's favor this week i think kansas state has the edge in that regard yeah yeah and we'll see how it goes jt i mean i feel like every week i see somebody say about like he say oh well, this is the week where adrian martinez is finally gonna have to prove that he can pass a little bit and you know there's still some questions around that you know, how much does he need to be a passer this game? Um, I I don't think they need to try to force anything. I think he showed he could throw the ball effectively against Iowa State. Like it wasn't it wasn't pretty, and it you know it was like not quite 260 yards. Like like it yeah. wasn't any you wouldn't you're not like his looking receivers at an air can rate. just avoid fumbling at the goal line. That would be right. Helpful. Like his stat line would have looked so much better had Malik Knowles finished the play and scored a touchdown we would have been like oh look he can throw the ball it, it all looks great like and now we're still we're like well i don't know and and that's not entirely his fault so yeah and we should um, say you know credit to malik i think he's, he's owned up to that mistake and said he needs to do better so yeah and yeah i wasn't you know trying to dog on malik like right, yeah he, right that's it's fine but i mean first time in a while we had two receivers over 100 yards receiving right. i mean that was pretty big and you know, they would have had you know, each a touchdown. So I, I'm not worried about Adrian throwing the ball as much as I was say the Tulane game or even against Oklahoma where it, it looked, you know, if you look at, at the passing in the Oklahoma game and even some of the Texas tech game, it's, it was more like they moved. So like against Tulane and Missouri, he threw a lot of check downs and they were like three or four yard check downs. And then we got like six yards well, it felt like they just pushed the routes up the field ways. And so the check down, instead of being three or four yards, was now six or eight yards. 
And if they're getting, you know, that, and then maybe a couple, that's a first down. And they figured out like, oh, hey, we just need to adjust. So those couple big passes to Ben Simmons against Oklahoma, like those were check down plays, but they went for big yards because he was further upfield when he made the catch and had more room to operate. Whereas against Iowa State, like he's hitting his primary targets, Philip Brooks and Malik Knowles, and they're making plays. He's getting his his guys in in space, and it it looked just a lot better. So I still think there's still some question there about his ability to throw the ball deep and to hit the guys in stride and, and that kind of thing. But it looked a lot better against Iowa State in a very tough environment than it had to that point this season. So you know, if, and now if we can get them running the ball and throwing the ball effectively at the in the same game, then it you know it could look pretty good for the Wildcats. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about, you know, in some ways it might be better to have a, a ball control offense than, you know, all those explosive plays. So I mean, you never want to turn down explosive plays, obviously, but you know, it'd be nice we've for been, K-State to win the time possession battle. Right. But, you know, we've been living on explosive plays and the, the defense seems to feed off it too. So it's, you know, normally you say you don't want, you want to win the time of possession. So you don't, you know, wear your defense out, but it seems like the defense is, just fine living in that. Well, if they're going to score, we're just going to go out and stop them and get a, yeah. you know, force a turnover, get a bunch of sacks. You know, like we're okay with that as long as they're scoring, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And well, speaking of explosive plays, that's the question I always got to ask our guests: Is will TCU have the courage to punt to Philip Brooks? He has three returns this year, only three, and one of them went for a touchdown. Um, they had the pump block touchdown too. I hope that we have the choice. Um, Jordy Sandy was really, really good on Saturday. He's had some games where he's been not as effective, and he's had games where there's not been an opportunity for people to return. And so I think in a perfect world, he will not get any opportunities, but I also don't know how much of that is in our control. So it's the same thing with Darius Davis, right? Like nobody wants to kick to Darius Davis. Oklahoma State kicked him, and Darius Davis kind of pooped the bed a little bit a couple of times. And so I, this is this is going to be interesting. These are probably two of the best returners in college football. And so how much they play into the overall game plan, I think is going to be a big loss of sleep moment for special teams coaches on both sides. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so that that's, you know, zoom out a little bit. This is TCU's first year of Sonny Dykes. Gary Patterson has gone so I mean, are you feeling all the feels of uh, replacing a Hall of Fame coach like, like we did? I mean, I feel like it was, there's a lot of, you know, oh, oh it's great. Bill Snyder would have done this. Bill Snyder would have done that. But then, you know, like, oh, it's kind of nice to have somebody who's who's doing things differently. Because, you know, sort of like Snyder, Gary Patterson went on a not the highest of notes. And so it, it's kind of a strange feeling. And, you know, it, it, it's got to be different when you're winning every game. Too, that helps. Yeah. But. I mean, the difference between Snyder and, and Gary Patterson is Gary was, you know, fired in the middle of the season. Uh, but yeah. It was, yeah. It was an ugly divorce. And then, you know, unlike Bill Snyder, Gary went and coached it. You know, TC is probably most hated or second most hated mm-hmm. rival. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think if Gary Patterson is sitting on the sideline somewhere or commentating on ESPN or part of college game day, then maybe people feel a little bit more different. But the fact that he's, you know, took his ball and went to Austin, I think everyone's yeah. like, yeah. okay, fine, dude. Um, <laughs> look, it, it's like I, every time I, I go on a, a podcast, they always ask me about Gary Patterson. And like my thing has kind of gotten to the point of like how, like for how long do we have to couch everything with 
Gary Patterson did everything for TCU. TCU is not TCU without Gary Patterson. TCU football is certainly not TCU football without Gary Patterson. And where the Horned Frogs are today and the position that they're in today is because of the foundation that he built. And I feel like that goes without saying, but I also feel obligated still to say it because it's only year one without him, right? And he's still yeah. like alive yeah. kicking and in college football. And so, <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm a high school teacher. I'm a basketball coach and, you know, I have been. And so I, if there's one thing that I know, especially with young people, is that your voice goes tired after a period of time. And it was very, very clear for the success that both parties are having without each other that it was time for a change. And I think that's okay. Like Gary Patterson has a statue in front of Amon G. Carter Stadium for a reason. And that statue deserves to be there for all eternity. Like he earned that. TCU football gave it to him for good reason. It's awkward that he's still there um, or he's not there, but like he's still alive and that the statue is still there and he is elsewhere. <laughs> that's weird, but that's regardless, right? TCU needed a change. And the smartest thing that Sonny Dykes did was come in and be the exact opposite of Gary Patterson in literally every single way. And so <laughs> as I've mentioned multiple times now, this is pretty much the same TCU roster that we want yeah. to play for the last two seasons. And the fact that this roster is six and oh, when I think that if you looked at this under the old regime is probably at best a three and three team and probably a two and three team, they don't come back and, and be Oklahoma state, you know, last year's team that they don't do that. They probably don't win in Lawrence the way that this team was just functioning mentally and emotionally. And so I hope that at the end of the year, we look back and say, hey, this was great for both parties. Everybody's happy. Texas looks like they can be pretty good or maybe even really good. Uh, the Iowa State game gave us some questions, but Iowa State's a good defense, whatever. But it, it, hopefully it's a win-win situation, except on um, November 12th when it's just a win for TCU. But um, <laughs> other than that, this has been really positive. And, and Sonny Dykes gets it. You know, like he understands what college football is becoming. He understands NIL. He understands media. He understands young people and players. He gets how to open the doors to this program to make it more accessible for everybody. And that's why you saw five different national media organizations write glowing pieces about Sonny Dykes last week heading into that Oklahoma State game. You know, I had to write her out rat poison in my Monday morning quarterback piece because there's been <laughs> so much of it floating around Fort Worth and that just hasn't existed. The Athletic has written more pieces about TCU this year than they had in the last three years. I let my subscription lag because I was like, they don't write about TCU. Why do I need to pay attention? Now all of a sudden they're writing about TCU every single week. Like Sam Conn is like <laughs> on the beat. It's it's awesome. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that just the feeling, the vibes, you know, Parker and I do a spaces every Thursday. We talk and it's just called like, it's just the vibes. The vibes around this program are so, so good. And these kids are playing like they're having fun. And in college football, I think that matters. So yeah, I mean, Gary Patterson is a legend. He always will be a legend. And TCU is TCU because of what Gary built. And like, as someone who was there, we were one in 10, like watching us be six and oh, 25 years later is, is pretty freaking cool. But yeah, I mean, I think that this, this is a change that TCU needed. It was a change that Gary Patterson needed. And I wasn't incredibly on board with the Sunny Dykes hire, but like, I think I'm starting to understand why Jeremiah Donati, our AD, like day one said, no, this is the guy. He identified Dykes as candidate number one and went and got his guy. And it makes perfect sense now that, that this is what TCU needed right now in this moment. Yeah, I mean, it sounds kind of similar to like, and honestly, JT, I don't know how you feel, but I mean, I feel like the biggest changes since Snyder left have been off the field with, I mean, recruiting number one is just totally different. Uh, Chris Kleiman is taking a more modern approach, shall we say, yeah. uh, recruiting during yeah. the season. And, and then just the, the social media team, it feels like they've had the shackles taken off and it's like, oh, wow, we, we can do this. We can see yeah. cool stuff from 
about our football team. Like we can see behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, and you get we finally get to see the players, and yeah. they get to, the players get to talk to the media, and the the assistant coaches get to talk to the media. And that was something that we never saw under Snyder. And you know, Snyder did his thing his way because it worked for him, and it won him a lot of football games, a lot of football games. But like it, you know, that that switch from Snyder to Kleiman has been you know pretty great. And for the record, I've been through two coach switches at K State because I was here in Ed School when Snyder retired the first time and replaced by Ron Prince. And God bless you know, Ron Prince. Oh my God! And. <laughs> You know, you say about like, like he did everything different than Snyder, but he was also a raging a-hole about everything. <laughs> and, you know, we find out more about that later. And, you know, he's been fired from basically every job he's ever had ever since. So, but it was like, oh, this breath of fresh air and, and he's going to be, it's going to be so different. And then, you know, he just drove the thing, tried to drive the thing off the cliff and uh, had to bring Snyder back to coach at the stadium that has his name on it. And... <laughs> You know, I don't think that's going to happen at TCU. I, Sonny Dykes has been around long enough. He's been a head coach long enough that, you know, if he was just that kind of a guy, like, you know, I think it would have been outed by now. And, and when he got hired by TCU, I was like, oh, man, that's the perfect hire for them. Oh, crap, we're screwed because that's a great <laughs> hire. What are they doing? Damn it. <laughs> well, and, and I think that's like Gary Patterson is – you know, he does a lot of great things. There's a lot of the community, blah, blah, blah. But like nobody ever mistaked Gary Patterson for being like a really nice guy, right? Like that was not his style. He was not a player's coach. He was a, a hard ass. And, and that, again, that's what worked for him. Sonny Dykes is like legitimately just a really nice man. Like uh, he's just a really good human being. And, and not like Gary Patterson's not a good person, but Sonny is so warm, you know, and like my interactions with him at Big 12 Media Days and at games, like I'm just so impressed with just his countenance and how he carries himself as a person he's he's just like a, he reminds me a lot of um of sunny Cumbie, which you know is one of the best compliments i can give a person because he's one of the just legitimately great human beings in college football and, and that same thing though it's it's the modern approach it's opening the doors to practice it's letting us interview true freshmen at media availabilities it's bringing all of the assistant coaches and saying you have access to anybody at any time i had to beg and plead and like literally like threatened to kill a man to get an interview with <laughs> like years ago and, and like that now if i want to call up mark commodore tomorrow and say hey sonny can i talk to mark for a couple of minutes he'd be like oh absolutely what do you need i mean he is so anything that you need any accessibility anybody you want to talk to he is willing to bend over backwards to make that happen which has been as, as somebody you know in the media side like that's been a pretty amazing thing to see and as someone who's living in california during all of this open availability it's given me serious <laughs> models. i'm having a really really hard time with it <laughs> yeah and so, uh, just looking forward a little bit, I mean, you know, everybody's talked about how tough TCU schedule has been. This is the fourth straight ranked team they're playing. But then they get the schedule finishes at West Virginia, Texas Tech at home, at Texas, at Baylor, ISU at home. You know, obviously pretty friendly back end of the schedule. You got to be. Ooh, you think that's friendly? Thinking. I think that's terrifying. <laughs> well, re- relatively speaking. Yeah. It, it's it's going to be interesting because, you know, it's it's. Everything is great in Roses, and we're all so happy because we're 6-0. and um, Sonny has yet to lose a game at TCU, and we all know his track record of November and, and what his SMU teams <laughs> did late in the season. And so there's a long way to go, and, and these good vibes could easily change. But 
you know, I, I think that when you look at the remaining schedule, Kansas State's always been a tough game. The fact that it's a night game under the lights, like there have been some epic night games between these two teams, both in Manhattan yeah. and in Fort Worth. And so yep. I expect Saturday night to be nothing different. I keep thinking back to the 20, was that 2015 game in Fort Worth? Oh, okay. or I mean, just one of the best experiences uh, I've ever had as a college football fan. Uh, just, just a blast. And so I think, I think we're going to see something similar to that. TCU set attendance records the last two games. Um, they set student attendance records and overall attendance records. And so I think we're going to see another one on Saturday night. Um, they're breaking out the all black uniforms. They announced it on a Sunday. Who does that? The gall of this program right now. I'm loving it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but but I, you know, Morgantown is is tough. Just ask Baylor, right? Like that's always a tough place to win. TCU's a better team than West Virginia. It may or may not matter that game against Texas Tech I don't know how aware you guys are of what happened in the offseason when a couple of TCU assistant coaches started popping off about would you rather get 25 grand to live in Lubbock or be in Fort Worth and get the connections to be it was bad it was the social media firestorm <laughs> that in that Texas Tech game is always like other than the one year in 2014 yeah. the, the fire ran out of fireworks year that game is always almost almost always a, a close game and, and closer than it should be and Joey McGuire like Damn, I hate how good he is. Like you talk yep. about that with Sonny Dykes, like Joey McGuire is going to get that ship righted real quick. And I think he's got to do it this year. So and then going to Texas to Baylor yeah. and back-to-back weeks yeah. is brutal. So um, Iowa State, you, you look at that might be the, the easiest, quote unquote, easiest one left on the schedule because it's a home game, but that defense is number one in the conference for a reason. So yeah, um, I mean, it's, they yeah, lost four a, games by a combined 14 points. Yeah, it, it's a brutal stretch. It's a brutal stretch for TCU without a bye week. So, yeah. I mean, it's only going to get tougher. TCU had never beaten three ranked teams in a row before they did the stretch. Right. They've never beaten four ranked teams in a row. How often have they happens. played three ranked teams in a row? Not very. Not very yeah. often. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's not going to get any easier. And, and you go, like, I keep thinking back, going into the 2014 season, Gary Patterson always had a motto for the season. And the motto was prove them wrong. Because TCU came into that season with zero expectations. They were still early in the transition to the Big 12. It was just year three. And they hadn't been very good. It, it had been kind of a mess. Trayvon Boykin was a nobody. You know, like, it, nobody thought he should be playing quarterback at this level. And, they got to play as an underdog that entire season. And then in 2015, they came back and the motto was prove them right. And it's so much harder to be a prove them right team than a prove them wrong team. And TCU now is a top 10 team is a prove them right team. Um, and that burden of expectation is something the Horned Frogs haven't played under since probably 2017. And coming into that season, then nobody expected them to be world beaters either. So uh, you're going to really see that culture tested here over the next couple of weeks. And especially on Saturday night, when you play a really, really good team with all of the eyes of the nation watching you, um, it's going to be difficult. So I'm trying to couch my expectations and enjoy the ride. I'm trying to think that I never thought we would be in this position at this point in the season. We haven't played in a bowl <laughs> game since 2019 and we're already there. So um, I, I'm don't don't want to get too excited about what can happen i'm just trying to enjoy what is happening but also like it's hard not to think about what could be and what the ceiling could potentially be for this team right now yeah and so with all that being said do you want to give us a prediction for saturday yeah. night yeah, I'm going to pick against them because that's what I've done <laughs> the last three weeks. And listen, as much as I like to pretend I'm a member of the media and I'm a, a lowercase J journalist, I'm also first and foremost a PCU alum and somebody who loves this team. And all of my students make fun of how much purple that I have brought to my school out here in California. And so, yeah, I, I love this team and I, I love TCU. So I want them to win. So I'm going to pick them to lose because it's worked really, really well for me for the last three weeks. I, I think this is going to be an ugly game. You know, TCU played sloppy and got away with it Saturday. I don't think they can do that this week. I think that it's going to come down to which quarterback 
makes the play when a play needs to be made. And I think both of them are equally capable of doing it through the air and on the ground. And so I'm going to say Kansas State 27, TCU 24. And again, I'm doing that strictly it's a because- a low-scoring game. I know. I think it's going to be a low-scoring <laughs> game. I don't think- Like, like the, those Chiefs today. Everybody uh, expected a lot more scoring. Yeah. Well, except for Tony Romo. Like, but at, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's hilarious. You knew exactly. Oh, that dude, I tell yeah. you. So, yeah. So, I think that these teams are, are too. I just, I don't see either one of them letting the other run away from them too much. Um, I think it's going to be highly stressful. And after the years that have been taken off my life for the last two weeks, I expect <laughs> to lose another five on Saturday. And nobody wants those last five years, anyways, right? So, it's fine. Mm-hmm. There you go. What do you think, JT? Oh, man. I, I also think it's going to be a close game. I just, all I want is revenge for the volleyball game. Uh, yeah, that was rough. <sighs> Cats were up 2-0, and then I don't know what happened, and I'm pissed. So <laughs> I just need, I need some revenge this weekend, however that happens. And I, I'm going to assume it's probably going to end up looking similar to the, to the KU-TCU or the K-State-Texas Tech games. You know, mid thirties to to high twenties, low thirties, probably like a thirty-five to thirty-one kind of win for whoever does it. But in in that you know tight games, you got to favor the home team, unfortunately. So, okay. but I can guarantee that a school wearing purple will win on Saturday. So it's true. This is true. It's a it safe is, bet. It is a good Saturday. Well, TCU's going to wear black though, right? There's some purple in there. Don't worry. Yeah, there, okay. there's always purple. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's not like <laughs> Iowa State who just goes full black yeah, for some true. unexplainable reason. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, let's look at like Iowa for a week. Oh, yeah. Weirdo. Oh God, I hope neither of us look like Iowa on Saturday. Oh, let's just. Yeah, no. Yikes. Well, Melissa, there's always one. There's a lot of things that we got to. We I feel like we've gone kind of long. There's more things that I'd like to talk about. Uh, but I would like to ask you before we let you go because we probably won't talk to you before basketball season. Do you believe in TCU as top 20 and possibly even a top 10, according to some people, team this season? But, like you say that, and I literally just got goosebumps. <laughs> basketball is my first love. Like I love college football. Like the TCU gave me that love. I Growing up in California, like college football, this isn't a big deal out here, unfortunately. And so, yeah, like, but I grew up playing basketball. I grew up coaching basketball. I've been a basketball coach since I was 16. That is the sport that I love. And I had one good season as a TCU student until about 2017 when TCU made the NIT that I got to actually care about TCU basketball. Um, <laughs> I am the biggest believer in Mike Miles as a basketball player, as a yeah, human pre-season being. Preseason Big 12 player of the year, Mike Miles. I can't, like, I can't even comprehend the fact that that's a thing that you could say and not laugh after, uh, that TCU has the Big 12 preseason play. And that conference, of all things. Yeah, I mean, it's, but it's the same thing, right? It's the, like, last year was all gravy. It was approved them wrong. And the fact that TCU was one bad non-call away from making the Sweet 16, unbelievable, unbelievable experience. I got to go down there and cover, you know, that first game of the tournament. It was unbelievable. I think TCU is really, really good. I think they're deep. I think they're a complete team. I think they have all the gaps. I think the Big 12 is an absolute meat grinder once again this year. And so I don't know how well they can do in that conference, but I think that they will be tested when they come to the tournament. And I think TCU is a Sweet 16 team and maybe beyond that. So picked fourth to finish in the preseason poll, which is a little bit surprising to me. Um, but I think the shooting has to be a little bit better from the outside. Micah Peavy's really worked hard to improve in that regard. And so if he can be a 35, 36% shooter from deep, then I think TCU's got the pieces to be really, really good. I'm very excited for the TCU basketball season, uh, but I also know that you're not going to run through the Big 12. Nobody's going to go through the Big 12 at, you know, 
18 and 0 this year. Like I, I think it's probably 12 wins might win the whole conference. Um, Kansas isn't going to get to run away with things. Baylor's got who I think is probably going to be the best player in, in the conference and one of the best players in the country. And they're, they're two freshmen um, whose name escapes me right now, but he, that kid's really, really good. But yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'll, I'll be very, very locked in to TC basketball because I do think that they'll be competent in the big 12 and I think they'll make some noise in the postseason. Yeah, so as sure. a outside observer, what do you think of the hire of Jerome Tang? And, oh, yeah, it's brilliant. Like, you what, were saying some of the things about, about Sonny Dykes, and that, that reminded me a lot of like kind of how we feel about Jerome Tang. I was so upset to see Jerome Tang get hired by Kansas State. And like, <laughs> good, like I good. say that, like that's the best possible compliment I can give. He's a culture builder, right? And like you can't yeah. like we all hate Baylor, like like screw Baylor, but like you can't argue with what they've done with that program and the depth that Scott Drew has brought them out of. Uh, I mean that like for all of the sins of their football program, their basketball program was somehow worse. 20 years ago. And so, right. um, yeah, I mean, I mean, to see what he's done and the way that, that Baylor A has given him time to build that and to build it the right way um, and, and the success that they've had, the recruiting that they've had, Jerome Tang was a huge part of that and deserves a ton of credit. And so is he going to turn it around in a year in Manhattan? Maybe not, but I don't think it's going to be for long. That I mean, Kansas State was still tough to play the last couple of years. Like that has not been a cakewalk. You, you can't go into any arena in the Big 12. And, and it's, it's, I know you guys are disappointed. It wasn't what you thought it would be, but like, it, the octagon of doom is still a really tough place to win. I mean, last so. year it was two years ago. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a little uh. bit, but but uh, overall, a lot. It's it's you know it's a, it's a lot more good than bad in that program, and so I don't think it's going to take him long to make that another powerhouse. I mean, if you told me right now that eight teams from the Big Twelve are going to make the tournament, it would not. I would not blink an eye at it. I, I think it's it, there's just not going to be there's no easy nights in that conference, and it's not going to get any easier. With another great, I mean, what what conference is is better coached top to bottom? Yeah, at this point, not I, I can't think of one. No, no, I mean, where like where's your wins? Like where are you? Like when you look at it, and every single team believes that they can win pretty much every single night, and and that's a terrifying prospect to now have a good basketball team and have to think about that. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. All right, well, we probably uh, wrap this up. So Melissa, we know we can find you on Twitter at the Coach Melissa, also frogstoday.com. Anything else you want to promote? Yeah. No, uh, give us give us a watch, give us a listen. I, again, I have serious FOMO because I don't get to be a part of this, but the pregame show, the postgame show, the stuff that we're doing throughout the week with Jamie Plunkett and David Bowden is, is an awesome breakdown of X's and O's. And, uh, and of course, Brian Eschard's Voice of the Frogs is kind of leading the ship there. So lots of great information. You'll definitely want to be tuned in this week to get ready for this game. All right, sounds great. Hopefully it'll be a fun one Saturday. Oh, hopefully. I just am prepared just to uh, sit in a dark room and cry. Like that's what I was doing for most of the last week's <laughs> game and most of the game at Kansas too. So it's fine. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, JT. Yep. Thanks, Austin. Thank you.